So I've probably seen Ghostbusters 30 times, and I noticed a new joke this time. Yeah, I, I noticed a few new jokes this time. Uh, number one, I, I think we w- w- the listen, do you smell something, was something we both didn't notice. Also, the bit with the maid in the spray bottle. I've never, I, I never I've always noticed loved that, that part. But yeah, there are – this is definitely one of those movies with a lot of stuff going on in the background. I mean that – that was something that I we said about Lost in Translation as well. Funnily enough, you know, there is a lot of weird background stuff that's happening that's you know adding to the scene and very deliberately picked. You know that this movie is as deep as this is probably one of the reasons that you know it is such a classic movie in so many. Well, ways. it's very you know Ghostbusters is an interesting movie for a few reasons, and I think that. Uh, you know, interesting. Interestingly enough, I think it has something to do with Lost in Translation, uh, beside the fact that Bill Murray are both in it, but also the fact that Bill Murray is kind of riffing and improvising. Oh you yeah, know, somewhat in both of these movies. And you know, of course, we talked about Lost in Translation. Bill Murray is definitely not playing Bill Murray in that movie. Ghostbusters was obviously a much earlier point in his career. He had come off of a few big comedies. Yeah, you know, he was in SNL for a while. He was a he was known as a great improviser. I mean, for example, uh, when he goes into Dana Barrett's apartment for the first time and he plays a little thing on the piano and says, yeah. "Oh, they hate that." That was completely improvised. And there's a there there was a great uh, uh, story I read about this, which basically said that you know because watching Ghostbusters, I've never watched it critically, yes. right? And it's both a really good movie and not a very good movie. And I think that one of the reasons why it works so well is is Bill Murray. Now he does a lot of the heavy lifting; he's the funniest in the movie by far. But they also said that. When he would come on the set, basically they were like, okay, Bill Murray, just be funny. And he was able to do it because he's Bill Murray. But it kind I think we're going to have interesting conversations about uh, Ghostbusters 2 as well because I think that that's probably not as true, which is one of the reasons why that movie doesn't work yeah. as well. Well, this is the third Bill Murray movie that we have covered on this podcast, the first being Groundhog Day. Um, and putting them in chronological order, you can kind of see that persona – changing involving this is the full bill murray mode the classic bill murray's you know ironically detached you know slacker type funny just making jokes while everything is happening around him Mm -hmm. in groundhog day we see him starting off as that point and frankly more of an asshole version of that persona and then softening realizing you know that he doesn't necessarily want to be detached from the world that you know figuring out how to be connected into this and then full-on Lost in translation is he's too tired and weary to have that detachment. Well, I mean, I would we talked about that in Lost of in Translation course. a little bit, but I actually think that he's not doing a Bill Murray thing at all in Lost in Translation. So, but that's a side issue. No, and and, and granted, you know, I, this is just you know me, me comparing where the actor's performance is taking. Certainly, the Bill Murray. Certainly, the Bill Murray that was in Ghostbusters could not have done Lost in Translation. Well, Bill Murray reasons. was playing Bill Murray for a long time, and then he became a real actor. I think that's a very yeah, that's actually a very fair. And I'm not saying that Bill Murray is like the Bill Murray that we see on screen. I mean, I, I've heard no, 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 that no, he no. is not like that at all. He is obviously playing a character that is an exaggerated version of himself or something like that. But his his comedic persona was always what you just said. And then, of course, once he yeah. started doing quote unquote real movies that weren't comedies, he he developed into a, a good actor. Well, yeah, I mean, one one of the after Ghostbusters was made, and one of the reasons that he kind of agreed to make Ghostbusters was because he wanted to do a version of uh, The Razor's Edge. Uh, yeah. And that was a flop a lot of, in a lot of ways 
because people were not really ready to see the you know people still wanted to see the Bill Murray character I think and you know him doing a serious role didn't really work at that point I think I haven't necessarily done a comparative filmography of Bill Murray but I think Groundhog Day might be one of those points where you know he was doing a more a, a a role with more serious elements to it and very well kind of you know I see that movie as blending the two and then you know that leads into his work with Wes Anderson for example and as you said he became a real actor yeah because I think one of the things about Ghostbusters of course is that they're not really playing characters they're 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 playing caricatures and there's no sense of Egon or Venkman or any of the other characters as actual characters that are growing or changing. We don't know anything about their interior lives. Yeah. This is not that type of movie. We this don't know is, what Janine does when she goes home. We don't, you know, no care what Ray's Well, we do because she, she likes to read uh, whatever That's she's true. <laughs> she's very intellectual. You know, here's the funny thing of it because I, I agree with that in a lot of ways. Like, and, and that kind of extends to most of the movie. So when I was a kid, I had actually seen the cartoon Ghostbusters. Um, I was a very big fan of that, and I'd seen that before I— Somebody had to be. Yeah, before I watched the movie. And so I didn't realize that the movie had come out first. Mm -hmm. And to me, even watching this as an adult, it feels like an adaptation in some ways. Like, this feels like— it's an adaptation almost of a comic series. I mean, you have these characters appearing there. I specifically think Winston is mo is one of the more bigger examples of that because he's almost, you know, he doesn't really do much in this movie. You know, we like Ernie Hudson. We like the character. You know, he has that scene when he's being interviewed. He has the scene with, you know, maybe the dead are rising from the graves. And that's about much of what he does in this but but I I agree with you, and also I think well one of the interesting like it, things about the Winston character is that he had a bigger role. Yes, and of course Ernie Hudson famously came in, and and they said, oh, you originally, know, originally I think cut, Eddie Murphy was. We going cut. Well, they yeah they well originally it was written for uh, Belushi and and Eddie Murphy, and mm. then Belushi died, so that happened. Uh, I don't think that Eddie Murphy was ever actually attached oh, okay. to the project. I think he was just an Eddie know, Murphy kind. Yeah. Okay. But he, uh, the Winston Stedman character did have a much bigger role in, in the original script, and apparently he came into work one day, uh, Ernie Hudson, yeah. not Winston, because Winston is not a real person, and basically all of his stuff was cut. Yeah. Now, yeah, you can say that's problematic. At the same time, watching the movie with a critical eye, what does Egon do? No. What, what, does, what does Ray really do? I mean, the movie is really a vehicle for Bill Murray to be funny. Yeah, it seems in a lot of ways all of the characters around Bill Murray are there, like I said, because they were in the comic. It seems like, you know, the scenes of them suiting up and the Ecto-1, those are all very iconic things, and but it doesn't feel like they're being introduced in this movie, if you know what I mean. Like, well, I, I think that this is a line of criticism that doesn't really hold up to scrutiny because... Yeah, and this is—I'm entirely talking about my own opinions of it. Yeah, because I—it I, I, it is being introduced. I mean, it's it's this is a you know it's not that this is actually an adaptation of something, and yeah. you know it it's yeah maybe and and I guess maybe that's where I'm going with this because we've talked about. You know, we try to watch these movies, you know, with the eye of, you know, we're going to the theaters, this movie's being released, but maybe I can't do that with Ghostbusters, which is not to say I can't look at it critically, but I don't know. This is one of those movies, to a lesser degree, like Star Wars, that was always there, and that has so much of a, 
if you really think about it, Ghostbusters is two films and what a couple cartoon series. And, I guess, and I, don't I think know. some comics. But doesn't it seem like much bigger than that? Especially with the way that people are talking about the new film. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, Ghostbusters to me is one of those classic movies of the 80s that everybody has watched since they were a child. And that's why it's such a big deal. I mean, I don't think that as a cultural force, I don't think Ghostbusters is that big of a deal. I mean, it's not Star Wars. It's not Star Wars. And I think certainly the the entire the I mean, we'll talk about this when we talk about the new Ghostbusters movie in a couple of weeks. But I think that the entire sort of you know, Sturm and Drang about the new Ghostbusters movie has a lot more to do with the people making that sort of noise about it than the actual thing. I mean, yeah, that's fair. You know, Ghostbusters is one good movie and one not so good movie and a cartoon series that frankly, no one remembers. You know, maybe there are some comics. I don't know. Video games. Yeah. But but I don't look at this as some sort of expansive you know, franchise universe. I look at this as two movies. And to me, Ghostbusters really slots into, I mean, one of the ways that I want to talk about this movie is the ways in which it slots into that sort of late seventies to mid eighties comedy, you know, movie comedy sort of style, because it, it, one of the things with Ghostbusters that was kind of revolutionary at the time is that this is a big budget action, you know, special effects spectacle that still has the nimbleness of stripes of, you know, all, all of the classic sort of seventies and eighties comedies that Bill Murray and that Jim Belushi and that Dan Aykroyd worked on. That's something that I think is kind of forgotten in a lot of the discussions of Ghostbusters. And it's also, I mean, it's frankly astonishing that they were able to pull this off. I mean, I think part of the reason – because, you know, in terms of you know, the effect sequences all look really cool. This is one of those things where the visual – Although even at the time, Ivan Reitman and the crew joked how cheap they looked. Yeah, but at the same These time – These were not great special no. effects even in 1984. <laughs> but it's the kind of thing where any technical flaws are, are, are made up for the fact that the design of the, everything is fantastic. I mean – the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man at the end, you know that that that's that's an amazing design of a monster. Yeah, I mean, that that you know the the Slimer character, all of the you know the library ghosts. These are all very well designed sequences, even if they were you know they were filmed a little cheaper than maybe they could have been, and and so that works very well in terms of you know creepiness, you know. The, it, it, it's it's the, the scary sequences work as as a horror film to a degree. Um, well, I mean, if you if you sort of look at Ghostbusters and you look at film criticism as also some sort of anthropology exercise, you know, so this was based on uh, an idea that Dan Aykroyd had to do with Belushi that was going to be called, I think, Ghost Smashers. Yeah, and they were basically going to be dressed in like kind of SWAT team uniforms and traveling around in time and space. And of course, Ivan Reitman got this and was like. This would cost three hundred million dollars to make. Yeah. There's no way you could ever do this, so they they kind of tamped it down a lot. Now you can kind of see some of that in this movie a little bit. Yeah, I, I don't know if that movie would have been as good as Ghostbusters, but I don't know. At the same time, Ghostbusters is kind of 
it's a very episodic movie almost yeah. almost in the same way that the original star wars is episodic they kind of don't really they go from place to place and remember like the first 45 minutes of the movie it's not even two hours long it's like a minute hour 40 or something you know the first 45 minutes of the movie are them sort of like traveling through this you know it starts off actually um in a very sort of uh, verisimilitude sort of fashion and you know quickly goes into okay there's this ghost here but it starts off as like kind of like a horror movie. Oh yeah, and then uh, suddenly you're watching Bill Murray be funny. <laughs> so it's you know it the, the tonal shifts of it are done very well. Yeah, I mean you can watch this movie and say how can you do this? And I guess a lot of the ways that they do it is you know making Bill Murray the star of this, where frankly scary shit is happening around him and he's dealing with it by making really funny jokes. I mean it is a gallows humor movie in a lot of ways. And I'd say, you know, the fact that these and it's it's e- gallows, it's gallows humor, but it's also ridiculous it, because it, it, the entire the entire premise of the movie is that these are guys that are going around like catching ghosts. Well, here's where so. here's where we have our favorite concept, bathos, because you have, um, you know, again, you, you, you have the end of the world. You have an apocalyptic cult. You have, you know, interdimensional gods who are going to destroy the entirety of, you know, humanity and then you have these, you know, four dudes, you know, one of him is, you know, is an asshole. The other two are, you know, raise a little childish. Egon's very serious. And, you know, Winston just wants his paycheck. And, you know, they're trying they, – it, it, it's, it's – it's, a lot of the humor comes from the fact that, you know, you do have four fairly average dudes in, in, in a cosmic horror comedy, in a cosmic horror movie. Yeah. And they're – they bumble their way through and they get, and they do it. Yeah. But it's but it's all very grounded in a sense of reality. And I think that one you know, one of the other things that um I, I find really I guess appealing about Ghostbusters is is sort of the New Yorkness of it too. Oh yes. I very mean there, much. it is very much a New York movie and I you know, I don't I think Ivan Reitman might have been from New York. I don't know if the rest of them were, but there is a real sense of uh, you know, we're just trying to get a job done. Well certainly, I mean, you know, Bill Murray working from SNL, you know, all of, you know, all of them are comedians who, you know, would have known the city. Yeah. There's also a lot of interesting stuff in there, of course, about, you know, I I love the mayor scene towards the end of the movie. I mean, that's very good and that's very grounded. And of course it's, you know, you could say that Ghostbusters is cynical, but I don't think Ghostbusters is cynical. I think Ghostbusters is using cynicism to to get at what the characters want, if, if that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, for example, you know, when they – Bill Murray, uh, uh, Venkman, you know, we'll, we'll say his, I guess, character. Yeah. Name, uh, you know, convinces the mayor to let them go and try and catch <laughs> Gozer or whatever. You know, he basically says, look – we'll go to jail if we're wrong but if we're right then you save the lives of all these people and you know you got an election coming millions of registered voters is the phrase that he says and what i and the capper of that scene is is the cardinal giving him the yep look at the end you know and also i mean you know talking about you know childhood impressions of ghostbusters i mean there are jokes in here that make absolutely no sense if you're not an adult i mean the whole three mortgages thing at the very beginning uh there's the blowjob scene which actually i think the first time i ever saw that i believe was at my neighbor's house and i was i'd watched ghostbusters like taped off tv or something and they always cut that okay i guess it's a little too racy and I for, for like that scene still always surprised me surprises me because it's not in my childhood memories. I know what you mean. It was something that I, I it's not in mine either. And I don't know if I saw a cut version of it or just, you know, didn't know what was happening really in that scene. Um, I read someone talking about that 
scene and they what they thought as a kid when they saw it was he was you know she was undoing his pants because he ate a lot and was full (laughs) but um so i mean you talk about episodic that sequence actually was apparently in the initial version of it there there was a section of the movie where i think ray and winston go off and have some kind of ghost catching adventure where the, you know there's a place that's haunted by this ghost woman and then when they're coming back is the maybe the dead are rising from their graves conversation yeah um but that was cut for time which does i mean one of the reasons that you know a cartoon series or some kind of series made sense was because there is an episodic uh premise inherent in this in that you know, they're going out and they're catching the ghost of the week. I mean, I, I think it, a Ghostbusters TV series would have been a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, frankly, too, I, I think that, you know, reading a lot of the criticism of Ghostbusters when it first came out in 1984, uh, you know, a lot of critics actually didn't really like it. And and a lot of the criticism was was centering around the fact that, that nobody in the cast really had much reason to be there except for yeah. Bill Murray. And also that the plot is sort of just kind of there. But, you know, as Ghostbusters has has aged and it's gotten this sort of outsized reputation as a, you know, a fantastic example of this type of comedy, which which I think it is, it's still very funny. The plot is not the point. And the plot is really there as a vehicle for jokes. But the thing is, like, all the jokes are always grounded in the reality of the situation. And I think that that's really what it comes down to. I mean, you know, maybe we'll do Judd Apatow at some point on Trek About Presents, even though I don't really want to. But, you know, one of the things that always bothers me about Judd Apatow movies is that they really do just seem like a vehicle for people to make jokes. And there's no real connection to what's going on in the actual plot of the movie. Yeah. Whereas Ghostbusters is not like that at all. No, Ghostbusters is, you know, these personalities which are bouncing off of each other. In the case of Venkman, his making, you know, his making jokes are within the, are diegetic in a way. He is, you know, I I, I think, I guess what I think about is that scene at the very end when, you know, after the Marshmallow Man is appearing and Ray's rambling about, you know, we used to roast marshmallows, you know, okay, Ray's gone bye-bye, Egon, what are you doing? I'm terrified beyond capacity for rational thought, um... But, you know, it is... Like, Everybody, you know, that's a thing. That's, I mean, all the characters do get a little bit of a chance to shine. But, I mean, that... that, the, the, that Except for Winston, probably. Well, <laughs> yeah. But that three, in a nutshell, is is the character's worldview. You know, Ray is going to regress. Uh, Egod is going to, you know, analyze it. Or if he can't analyze it, he can't do anything. And, you know, Venkman's going to make jokes about it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and that's really the thing about it, too, is that, you know, Ghostbusters is not a movie that is asking hard questions about the reality of the paranormal or anything like that. That is not the point of the movie. I mean... In fact, like, I I would say the montage scene when they're showing the magazine covers and, you know, you have the different... um, And they have the Atlantic. What are the... You know, the the ghosts have silver... Like, I think it's interesting that that segment addresses that you know yes we've thought about these questions you know th- this would have these implications you know but even though they're jokes yeah, but, of co- but but you know but part of the joke is like it, it's just a joke this is ghost goddamn ghostbusters it's a comedy you know and so they're able to take those serious questions and in a way deflect them you know the, and, and frankly then the archbishop at the end does the you know d- does the second half of that you know yes we're gonna you know we're not gonna comment on this all right now let's deal with the plot I don't know. Maybe it seems like maybe this movie is a very good movie and a fantastic pilot in some ways. You what, know, what do you mean by that? Like if this is getting the the point of this movie is to get the Ghostbusters together and celebrate it. And, you know, from here, they're going to go off and fight ghosts. 
I don't know. I mean, I think that that sh- sure, but I think that that also it is a self-contained movie. There were no plans to ever yeah. make a sequel. You know, this is a movie that is telling a story. It's doing something very particular and it's trying to be funny, which it is. It does. And, you know, certainly I think that, I mean, I'll be curious to see what the new Ghostbusters movie is like because yeah. movies now are very much made with the idea of sequels in mind. Because I guess, and again, this is the idea, you know, this is... Because Ghostbusters feels complete to me. Like, I don't think that we ever, we didn't need a Ghostbusters 2. There's a reason why it took five years for it to come out. And there's a reason why it wasn't very good. Now, there are other, you know, I mean, there are other reasons why it's not very good, which we'll talk about next week. But to me, Ghostbusters is a very self-contained story. It's very well written. Everything hangs together. It's a one and done for you. Everything is done at the end. You know, it's, it's, you know, there's no reason for more of it. I I guess, you know, and maybe that is the, you know, we are going with this 30 years later, having the reputation, having seen this as a kid. There is a part of me that wants more. Like I had. You know, I have never had a bad time watching this movie. I know several times, like, you know, this is one of those movies that if you're in a bad mood, Ghostbusters will cheer you up. You know, I we saw it for like the 50th time yesterday and it was still laughing at the same jokes, you know, enjoying it. And I guess there is part of me that, well, I want more of that. And, you know, what we did get from that is not enough. You know, it, it's not a satisfying version of that. And so... What do you mean it's not satisfying? Like, I would love to, I would love to, you know, this movie was great. I want more, but I know the more is Ghostbusters 2. Yeah, because the thing about comedy is that you can't, you can't demand more of it. Like, and that's, and that's really the thing. And I think that's why comedy sequels usually are not very good is that you're trying to capture lightning in a bottle twice. And comedy is, comedy is hard enough to do as it is without, like, Really, you know, comedy focuses on and really requires uh, a lot of engagement with an audience. And I think that's one of the I mean, this is kind of a tangent, but I think that movie comedies very they go wrong quite often because no one is there to actually laugh at the jokes. No one knows that they're actually funny or not. Uh, You're talking about a lot of writers, a lot of staff, the director, the actors are all there you kind of get this sort of Stockholm syndrome where nobody really knows if what you're saying is funny. And that's kind of the same problem that, that you see with a lot of single camera comedies that don't have studio audiences, yeah. you know, that a lot of the jokes kind of fall flat. Now it's a very hard thing to do. You have to be very, very talented to do this sort of thing. But uh, yeah, I think that, that this is the movie the, these are the people that can pull this off and they pull yes. it off very well at the same time. It is lightning in a bottle. You can't just replicate. It's not a replica. Yeah. It's not a formula. Of course. And, at, and that's, again, why Ghostbusters 2 doesn't work nearly as well. At the same time, I will say that this is a premise which, you know, does have a lot of... Again, it's simply they're a supernatural, you know, extermination agency. So, you know, even if it's a simple Ghost of the Week thing thing and, and although you know yes maybe that would ring it dry after a while and i that wouldn't be able to go indefinitely and maybe that's why you know we're talking about the animated series like a joke I yeah don't know. yeah um i want to talk about dana okay because watching the movie this time with a critical eye i'm not really sure how i feel about the representation of women in this movie that's okay and I mean, Janine is. Let's talk. I mean, there's basically two women in the movie. There's Janine and there's Dana. Um, Janine is kind of treated as a joke, although she does have her chance to shine as well. I think that 
you know, she's not really a character. She's there as some sort of New York flavor, and she's there to spout off a couple of funny lines. She's one of the, you know, she she and Bill Murray work very well together. She's one of the few characters who can snark at him. You know, she could snark back at him, and that, you know, that that's a, to a degree, she's a ping pong partner for him, I think. Yeah. And that's all really I have to say about Janine, which... Yeah. You know, it's kind of unfortunate, but she's not really there that much. Yeah, and that, I think, is a function of, as we were saying, with, you know, it's the similar... It's very unfortunate that a woman and a black dude get, you know, we can say this about both of them. Yeah. We can't say that, for example, about Lewis. He is a... He does steal every scene he's in. Uh, Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, he's Rick Marinas, of course. He's going to. But... I I will say, when we... I, I don't know if you remember, we saw a midnight showing of this a few years ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, every single time Lewis came on screen, fucking standing ovation, like everyone went crazy for every line. And he's amazing in this, you know. Yeah, I mean, the party scene in this movie, as you said, you know, yesterday when we were watching this was completely improvised. Yeah, and apparently shot in one take, so. And I mean, it's like, you know, Rick Moranis is a, you know, a brilliant improviser, yeah. so he can pull that off with <laughs> no problem. And that that is the kind of scene where you just watch it and you're like, yeah, this is actually really happening. This is yeah. not scripted. Well, let's go back to Dana, though, because I don't know. I don't know how I feel about her. I think that she's a fine character. I think the movie treats her with a modicum of respect and decency. I think she's able to have agency in a way that would not have been true, you know, in other comedies. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, Bill Murray is a little too creepy, a little too aggressive with her. There, you know, there's things about you know, the ways in which the the other guys in the Ghostbusters talk about her that I find well, specifically, I'm thinking about the way she's dodging Lewis at the, you know, when when he first introduces him and you know just kind of sneaks into her apartment and you know the way she's reacting to you know Bill Murray and just in general, you know, she's a woman and, who wants to be left alone, she's, but she's a woman who also you know, looks like Sigourney Weaver and gets hit on by creeps all the time and is just dealing with this and is sick of it. Like, we talked about, you know, how Bill Murray is, you know, adding a lot into that performance, you know, and all of that. I don't know if that was nece- – it doesn't necessarily feel in the writing that feels like Sigourney Weaver adding that into, you know, that, the experience. You know, it, yeah, well, yeah, certain because – looks were – I mean, I – She uh, – Sigourney Weaver, to my knowledge, had not done comedy no. uh, to this point. Um, and I think a very a very small role in Annie Hall. Yeah, so – and she's very good. She's very it, funny. Well, yeah, that, I, this I think time that, I, I think, saw the movie, I really was impressed by, especially the way she, I mean, the way she does the possessed bits is is the physicality in that is amazing. Well, I mean, to be to be honest, I mean, no no offense to anybody else in the cast, but Sigourney Weaver is yeah. is a real actor, and I think out of all the characters that are in the movie, she is the one that I actually get a sense just from Sigourney Weaver's performance, yes. not even what she's saying. Sigourney Weaver is able to impart a feeling of what this person's life is mm-hmm. like, what this person does for fun. You know, what like it, it is it is a very, very good performance. I get a very good sense of who Dana is as a person just from her performance in in a way that I don't get yeah. from anybody else's performance in the movie. The phone call with her mother makes her relationship with her mother very clear. You know, th- things like that. Yes, it's true. But at the same time, and I'm not saying that the movie does not treat her her well, but there are elements to it, which, and of course, you have to say, okay, well, it was 30 years ago. Well, that's the that's the thing. Like, 
there there are moments that you realize it. You know, when you realize something is in nineteen happened in nineteen eighty four. Yeah, because of course you watch this movie now, and of course you said a few minutes ago, oh well, this is what would happen to a, a woman as beautiful as Sigourney Weaver. She would get hit on all the time. But you know, one of the things that that you know, women are more and more being open about is mm-hmm. the fact that this happens to all of them, and this yeah, happens that's to fair. all of them all the time. Yeah. And, you know, the thing is, men don't do it when other men are around. So men don't know that they're doing it. Um, so it is kind of a gross thing that this is happening in this movie uncommented on. You know, it, it is treated as a joke in a way that I don't think it would be treated now. Yeah. You know, having your neighbor aggressively hit on you all the time when you're like just I mean, basically what was he doing? Was he standing at his door looking out the people <laughs> waiting for her? Yeah. Like. This would. This is creepy behavior. This is aggressive behavior. This yeah. is disturbing behavior, and it's treated as a joke in a way that I don't think it would be now. Yeah, and yeah, and I mean the the movie does make a lot about the fact that you know again Sigourney Weaver is you know twice as tall as Rick Moranis, and he's obviously you know the character is very dweeby, and you know she has a cello, but you know at the, it, it, I guess you know in terms of I don't feel. You know, that this character is in danger from Lewis, for example, but at the same time, you know, you can just know the amount of annoyance that she has to deal with. If, if, yeah. The, I, 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 annoyance, I guess, is it particularly, you know, I'm downplaying it. But, but but do you know that she's not in danger from Lewis because of who Lewis is or because this is Ghostbusters? Maybe a little of both. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think it is a degree to which we we factor in the fact that this is a comedic movie about ghosts into that. You yeah. know, and if, if this was a different movie, I think that of Lewis's course, behavior course. would be painted in a very different light. Yeah. So, you know, again, though, Dana, I mean, I don't know that I like the aggressive sexuality of Venkman in this movie either. Yeah. You know, there are problems with the movie that are kind of, you know, looking at them from a lens of 30 years later. There's, there, 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 there's, there's being womanizing, there's being flirty, and then there's being lecherous and creepy. And Venkman maybe doesn't stay on the side of the line that he should for most of it. Yeah. I, I, I'm, because I, I, I am okay. Well, with, I'm, I'm okay with the idea of the character arc of Vengeman is the kind of person who, you know, he's using his professorship as an excuse, you know, to get, you know, to, you know, hot, you know, psychology students. And okay, that's who he is. And then, you know, he meets up with Dana Barrett and, you know, she rejects him. So he decides to get his shit. I mean, that's your typical slacker story arc. I, I I mean I will say like the beginning of the movie where Venkman is hitting on the psychology student at least she's into it so that's fine yeah but you know I think that that one of the things about the the story between Venkman and Dana in this movie is that I think it may should have been cut entirely I mean I, you know there were there's other stuff in the movie we talked about you know let's let's get some more backstory on Winston for example yeah you know what what does the whole Venkman and Dana thing really add to the movie it's not developed very well and it seems to come out of nowhere that – I mean the other thing about the movie is that you don't really know how much time is passing. And so you almost yeah. get the sense that this is like six months later or a year later and he just shows up and suddenly she's like – what is she worn down by him? And she's like, all right, fine. Let's go out. I mean it's it's a little – Yeah. You it's get a little this, underbaked. You get the sense what they want to do is he leaves, says, all right, I'm going to actually get serious because she reali- – you know, at that point she thinks of him as just a con artist who's not really doing anything. All he really does for her is play the piano, say a couple random things, and then hit on her. So no, he's not an actual – 
doing his job. Yes, he spends several months. The Ghostbusters become famous. You know, everybody's talking about him. And, oh, that guy who asked me out once, like, turns out he actually, you know, did do that thing he said he was going to do. And then he appears, and at that point, I mean, certainly she's feeling a bit softer towards him based on that and figures, all right, why the hell not, you know? I I think that's the intent they were going for. Again, and maybe this is with our 2016 eyes, seeing this movie and saying, if you want to do that, it has to be finessed a little better. Yes. And this movie thinks it can just do the outlines of that story and be enough. And maybe for 84, that was enough. Well, and and I mean, you know, not to go too far afield, but I I think my final point on that before we move on to another topic of conversation is that, you know, this is why it's important to have diverse viewpoints well, yeah. that are working on something like this. Well, the question that I have about the – and, you know, this particular arc of the conversation is contextualizing the people who are pissed off at, you know, an all-female Ghostbusters too. But I also – I wonder how – I don't know how literally they are going to – you know, the new version is going to be just a – gender swap of the movie, but the Venkman character in the new one, uh, will she be, will will the Dana character be a guy and will she have a relationship with this guy? Is that what's, you know, the, the, way, the direction they're going to take it? How is that going to play out, you know, kind of a thing? I don't know. Yeah, I, I, you know, which is one of the things I'm going to be curious to see, but certainly there are these, you know, notions that, you know, the story would shift different, shifts differently if you have... If you swap the genders and if you make it 30 years later. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I guess the other thing to talk about with this movie, of, of course, is I guess just kind of the, the the set direction and the special effects. Because one of the things that really struck me on watching it this time is how fake a lot of the sets look. <laughs> I mean, like especially the the top of the or Dana's apartment oh, building. Yeah. And a lot of the special effects are not done very well. You can see the rocks bouncing in the, in the ending, yeah. It's obviously shaving cream at the end. I mean, there's a lot of things about it. I mean, there are some things that are done well, but, you know, it is one of those movies where you you don't... I mean, Ivan Reitman famously said when the DVD came out of this like 10 years ago that they kind of bumped up the light levels and you could see all the matte lines, <laughs> which they fixed, I guess, because I have the Blu-ray version. You couldn't see that. But, you know, there is an element to it, which is like... The, the special effects are only there to, I guess, even give an idea about what's going on, in a sense, yeah. if you know what I mean? And since the point of the movie is not spectacle, it's okay that they're not very good, as long as the movie is funny? Yeah, I guess so. But again, it's not, I mean, and I'm not a film guy like you are, you know, I don't look at these things as closely, so... To me, just casual watcher in a way, this, it doesn't look like a bad bad at all to me. You know, uh, even even allowing for the fact that I've edited a lot of the you know effects failures out in my head, it still looks like a good movie. And I guess it, it again, a lot of that has to do with the visual design more than anything. Because if you had poor visual design for the ghosts in this level of special effects, it would look shitty. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they are they are designed very well, if nothing else. And I, you know, I will say too that this movie, again, you know, does pull off being a special effects heavy comedy very yeah. well. This is something that really hadn't been done before. 
And, you know, certainly there are scenes that they were able to play around with, you know, Bill Murray is able to improvise and, and do certain things. And, you know, I'm assuming, of course, that scenes that were very special effects heavy, there was not a lot of improvising yeah. going on, you know, but but it is they balance it very well. And I think that that's one of the things that's very hard to do. And I think it's going to be very interesting to see. I mean, they didn't even do it successfully because Ghostbusters 2 exists. <laughs> So how is the new Ghostbusters going to do it? I don't know. And I think it's going to be interesting to see that. Yeah. I also don't know if there have been that many examples of, you know, big budget special effects comedies that have worked well after Ghostbusters. I mean, certainly something like maybe Men in Black, you could say. Yeah. But I can't think of too many others. Yeah. I mean, I'm trying to think of something like Jurassic Park, what, you know, has funny but that lines, really but it's a not comedy. a comedy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I could think of examples like that but yeah it's a very hard thing to do and i think you know that for that reason if nothing Blue else frame roger rabbit yeah that could be yeah that's true um i think that but again uh, the 80s that was it yeah i i think that at the end of the day what's impressive about ghostbusters is the fact that you know it's a very well done comedy it's very funny it, they're able to blend a lot of different, you know, modes of storytelling and a lot of different moods and shades in the same movie in a very well done way. Certainly, there are some problems with it. I mean, I think that a lot of the soundtrack is cheesy as hell, but it's yeah. an '80s movie, so you just kind of have to go with that. And I also, you know, at the end of the day, Ghostbusters. I'm kind of left with a feeling of like, why does it exist? Yeah, I guess my question is. Uh, uh, and again, maybe I'm a little more interested in the controversy than you are, but. The phrase ruined childhood is coming up again. You and I have talked about how we've, you know, see, you know, saw this since we were kids. Um, seeing it in our 30s with a critical eye, is it worth it? I think so, yeah. I mean, Ghostbusters, if nothing else, it's always a delight to see Bill Murray at his top form. Yeah. And this does feature Bill Murray doing some of his best work. This is, yeah. He's very funny. Not not to downplay Dan Aykroyd. No, not but to downplay, Bill Murray is you know, the star. Yeah, Bill Murray is the star of the movie. Bill Murray is the center of the movie. He is the, you know, cynical slacker heart that kind of comes around at the end like he always does. And, you know, it is it is an interesting movie for that reason. And it is also, I think, worth watching for that reason. Yeah. You know, and I think, too, that... You know, certainly you could nitpick the plot. You could nitpick, you know, the kind of the flow of the movie. But at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter. That's not the point of the movie. And if the if Ghostbusters is doing its job, it's making you laugh. And so if you're laughing, that stuff doesn't matter nearly as much. Yeah. If you're not laughing, then stop watching it. I mean, you know, like seriously, I mean, that's not really (laughs) that's kind of why I think like this comedy in particular works so well you know it, it's done just well enough that it works because it is still funny yeah and neither the you know the effects are in a crutch to make up for you know bad performances the the effects enhance some really good performances yeah yeah well i'm excited to see what happens next week on ghostbusters 2 i have some very uh i've always had i've always had a very interesting opinion of ghostbusters 2 i think i know why it doesn't work but I will be curious well, to see if I am correct or not. I'll be honest. I don't know if I have sat down and watched Ghostbusters 2 all the way through yet. Well, you're in for a treat because mm-hmm. it is not very good. <laughs> well, if you have any thoughts on this episode of Track About Presents, please leave a comment on the post for this episode of the podcast at trackaboutshow.com. 
If you enjoy our podcasts and would like to show us a little bit of your monetary support, we do have a Patreon. It's patreon.com slash truckaboutshow. We have also just released our patron special for the month of July. So if you give us $5 a month or more, you get to listen to us talk about three classic Star Trek characters, Spock, Data, and Odo. Ooh. Truck About is also on social media, Truck About Show, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And as always, please leave us a positive iTunes review for Truck About Presents. There are only two episodes left in this season. Mm-hmm. What are they going to be? Well, next week we are talking about... Kurosawa's classic, The Seven Samurai. Ah. And then the next week, we're talking about M. No, we're not. Uh, We're talking about Ghostbusters 2, of course. And then the next week, we're talking about Ghostbusters 2016. Wow. So look forward to that. I will. We have to watch Ghostbusters 2, so we need to go prepare ourselves now. Uh. It's going to take us all week.